0: The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. If you're a guest or visitor, welcome. We are glad that you're with us. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor, and if uh, I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, I would love to meet you after the service, to greet you, to welcome you, because uh, we are glad that you are with us. And if you are joining us uh, this uh, this day for the first time, you're uh, joining us at the beginning of a new sermon series. Uh, so we finished our series in the book of Philippians a week ago, and this morning we're starting a new series that will take nine weeks looking at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us what the, fruit of the Spirit are, what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so over the next nine weeks, we're going to look at each one of these. Now you might be sitting there wondering uh, why we're going to take nine weeks to focus on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, I actually had someone ask me that recently, like, like, why, (laughs) you know, how do you come up with these? What, what makes you think about this? And, and uh, if you've been with us at CTK for some time, this might seem a little uh, out of the ordinary because most of the time we just work our way through a book, right? First Samuel, Philippians, uh, what, what have you. And uh, this series is going to have a little bit more of a topical feel. So why are we going to spend time looking at the fruit of the spirit? Well, think about this way. So over the uh, last year or so, there have been a number of uh, words that have entered into our common uh, vocabulary, words that maybe we uh, didn't use before, words that we didn't say before, like herd immunity or uh, epidemiologist. Uh, I've had to practice that one a number of times. <laughs> right? Uh, those are phrases and words that we, we weren't saying uh, with much uh, common uh, common occurrence prior to a year ago. Another one is uh, the new normal, right? The new normal. Um, we've heard that probably so often and maybe said it ourselves that we're, uh, we're kind of tired of waiting for the new normal. Um, if you're like me, uh, I don't really care what the new normal is or even what the old normal was. I just want normal, right? Well, uh, the free of the spirit is the normal. You see, for the Christian life, that is what the normal is. It's not the old normal. It's not the new normal. It just is the normal. This is what the Christian life is to embody, is the fruit of the Spirit. You see, in Galatians chapter 5, when the Apostle Paul gives us the fruit of the Spirit, he does so by contrasting it with what we could call the fruit of the flesh, You see, in chapter 5, he says that God's people are supposed to flee from sexual immorality, idolatry, enmity, strife, fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, drunkenness, and he goes on. And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that if you belong to Jesus, if you are trusting in him and resting in his work, then we are not to live by the fruit of the flesh, we are to put that aside, put it away. Instead, we are to live by the fruit of the Spirit. That is our normal. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, uh, when we're thinking about this, I I failed to mention this in the first service, but when we're thinking about these, these these are things that are worthwhile us praying over every morning. Asking the Lord to make these realities true in our lives, because this is our normal. This is what the Christian life is to embody. And so because of that, we're going to spend nine weeks looking at them. And we're going to take each one in turn. And we begin this morning with the fruit of love. And to do so, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. So if you have a Bible, please turn to 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens in front of you. We're going to project the passage there. And in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that love would abound, that love would abound in our hearts and in our minds, that love would abound in our midst. We ask that love would abound in this time because, Father, you have called us to love. And so teach us what it means to love you and our neighbor, to love one another, and to be a people of love. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Joe Ehrman uh, was a defensive tackle from 1973 to 1982 for the then Baltimore Colts and the Detroit Lions. I don't know if Joe was a great football player or not. He was a little bit before my time. But he clearly had a great career. Ten years playing in the NFL, it's, that's a long career. Well, after his career was over, Joe did a number of things. And one of the things that he did was he began coaching at Gilman Private School. He was the head football coach at the Gilman High School. And Gilman was a private school just outside of Baltimore. But it wasn't a private school that was just for the elite, for the wealthy. It was actually a private school that was purposeful in trying to provide scholarship and avenues for kids who were from the inner city of Baltimore to receive an education that they otherwise could not have gotten. And Joe was the football coach there. He was the football coach. And if if you played football or, or any sport really in high school, or maybe you've just watched sports on movies, right, you know that every sport has rituals to it. Right, Every team has rituals to, to what it means to be part of their team. They have sayings that they say, they jump up and down, they get hyped, they get ready, right? They have these phrases like, clear eyes, full hearts. Am I the only one who knows that one? Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. There we go. Thank you. That's right. That's one of them, right? Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Well, anyway, I, I, that, that kind of disappoints me. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Um, but they had a ritual as well. Their ritual was before every single game, Joe, who was the head coach, and the other coaches would stand before their players in the locker room. And the players would all be around them. And before they'd run out onto the field, the coach w- coaches would say, what is our job? Not what is your job as teammates, what is y- not what is your job as football players, what is our job as the coaches? Now I want you to think what their response might be. They're football players, they're looking up at this massive man. I had the pleasure of meeting Joe Ehrman once, he was 6'4", 247 pounds, and even many years after his playing days, he was still chiseled, he was ripped. And I remember shaking his hand and walk away, walking away thinking, he could crush my skull with his bare hands. <laughs> because he was massive and powerful and strong and intimidating. So imagine you're sitting before him and he says, what is our job? What is my job? And the football players, surely they're going to think, well, (laughs) your job is to teach me to be mean and tough and to destroy the other team and to be powerful and intimidating and to run all over them, right? I mean, it's football after all. He would stand in front of them and say, what is our job? And the team with one voice would say, to love us. To love us. That's what they would say before every single game. You can actually read the story about Joe and this team in a book called Season of Life. It was written a number of years ago. But that was his job. That's what he said. Our job is to love you. Now, of course, it was also their job to teach them to block and to throw and to run, to hit the hole, right? To win, they were unapologetic. They were trying to win games. But what he said, our primary job as coaches before you is to love you. You see, on the Gilman High School football team, love was primary. And that was true not just of the high school football team, that the greatest of importance was love, but that is true of the Christian faith. I mean, we heard it in 1 Corinthians 13, didn't we? It shows us the primacy of love. We see it in the first three verses. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So do you all hear the primacy of love? What the Apostle Paul is saying, I can have a golden tongue and inspire men and women by my words. I can have wisdom and knowledge that surpasses everyone else. I can have the deepest faith and be generous beyond belief. But if I have all that the world would value, and think about what the world values. I mean, it would be these things, right? In the context of Corinth, one of the things that the Corinthians valued was rhetoric, was articulate speech. Right? Think about our own day. What are the things that our world values? Public platforms. Politically aware people. Socially adept human beings. Money. Money degrees. And what is Paul saying? I can have the biggest platform. I can be golden-tongued. I can be generous. I can have great wealth. I can have many degrees. But if I, have, if I do not have love, what am I? I am a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. I gain nothing. I am nothing. Love is what is primary. Now listen, Paul isn't saying to be articulate, to have faith, to be generous, that that those are evil, that we shouldn't pursue those things. No, he's simply saying they are secondary, that they take second share to love. And so we should ask ourselves, if our friends were to describe us, our neighbors, were to speak of us, our classmates, our coworkers, those people who drive by our church on 419, and they look and they see our building, is love what they would say characterizes us. Because that's what's primary. To love. And the primacy of love isn't just in 1 Corinthians 13, it's actually throughout Scripture, right? Because Jesus himself said, what is the greatest commandment? that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might. And the second commandment is just like it, that we shall love our neighbor as ourselves. And in the book of John, Jesus said, they will know that you are my people, that you are my followers by how you love one another. Love is the primary attribute of a follower of Jesus. to the point that Paul says in verse 13, Faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So what is love? We need to ask ourselves that, right? Because there are lots of ways that our world, our culture tries to articulate what love is, right? Love is simply a deep affection. It's a strong emotion, a powerful desire, right? It's funny that love sometimes actually just kind of feels like a bad burrito (laughs) after you've eaten it, right? I mean, it's kind of that weird feeling in your stomach, right? Or or as a commercial described it, love is a Subaru, right? I have to tell you, I have a Subaru. It's a nice car. I like it, but it's not love. So what is love? Well, Paul tells us in verses 4 through 7, he tells us the posture of love. Love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do you see what love is? Love is selfless. Love is selfless. Now, before we go on, we should pause and remind ourselves of who it is that Paul is speaking to. Who his primary audience is. Because when we think of 1 Corinthians 13, we oftentimes apply it. To marital or romantic love, right? Right, that's how we often think about it. This is about a, a man falling in love with a woman, right? That this is the kind of love. And, and every single wedding that I have ever performed, every single wedding that I've presided over, has included this passage either in the readings or the basis for the homily. And there's nothing wrong with that, Right? I mean, our marriages should be marked by love, and our families should be marked by love, and our friendships should be marked by love, But, but Paul's primary audience wasn't the couple sitting on the couch doing premarital counseling. Paul's primary audience was the church. People like you and me. That this isn't just how families are supposed to operate, but this is how the people of God is to operate together that we are to be a people of love, and that means we are going to be a selfless people, right? Patient, kind, not insisting on its own way, not irritable, resentful, bearing all things, enduring all things. I mean, just think about that. That is seeking the good of others at the expense even of our own good, right? You don't bear and endure that which is easy, Right? You bear and endure that which is hard. Now, at this point, it'd be good for us to take a moment and kind of challenge some of the modern notions of what love is. Because often in our day, love is simply put forth as unconditional affirmation. Right, That if you love me, you will simply affirm everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I think. I mean, you've heard this, right? Maybe it's even been said to you. Well, you don't love me because you disagree with me. You don't love me because you challenge me. You don't love me because whatever it might be. That if you love me, you will affirm me. But, but that's not biblical love. No, biblical love doesn't ignore the truth. Paul actually said it, Right? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. You see, to love someone means that we are concerned for what is true and what is right and what is good and beautiful. It is actually unloving to pretend what is wrong is right. That is unloving. Now, I imagine that some of us now, we've heard that and we're thinking, Amen, the truth, right? We're going to be truthful people. And we're going to tell everybody the truth. And we're going to tell it so they know it's the truth. Right? Amen? Amen. don't say amen. (laughs) (laughs) Now listen, we need to speak the truth. We do. We need to speak the truth. And unfortunately, the truth is, is that sometimes we use the truth as a way of giving us a pass of tearing someone down with that truth, right? We just say, well, I'm just speaking the truth in love. I love this person so much, I'm going to tell them the truth. But friends, what you're saying may factually be accurate, but it could be completely unloving. Because the posture that we take is just as important as the words that we say. You see, often speaking the truth, whether it's with love or not, often it has much more to do with us being right than actually loving the other person. You see, if love that rejoices in the truth is what we're going for, then we are going to speak truthfully, but that doesn't mean that we put aside patience and kindness. It means that we will speak the truth with patience and kindness. I mean, do you remember in Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul said, when restoring one who had fallen into sin, that they are to be restored with gentleness. You see, the truth is not opposed to love, and love is not opposed to truth. They both are to be held together. You see, love that rejoices in truth has less to do with us being right and more to do with what is best for that person. That's why the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4 says that we are to keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And so we are to seek the best of our brother or sister. We are to seek the best for our neighbor. And that may mean at times having to say, What you are doing is damaging yourself. And it is hurting others. And it is doing damage to our community and to me. What you are doing is sinning against God and your neighbor. And I love you. And so I'm calling you to repent. I love you and I rejoice in the truth. I love you and I must seek your good. To speak the truth. And to do it with love. Now, here's the thing, y'all. It's easy to love people who are easy to love. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's easy to love those people who are kind and gentle when you come with the truth. Who are uh, understanding and reasonable. Like, we all have those friends, right? Like, they get called out on sin and they're like, thank you so much. I know that was really hard for you to say to me, but thank you because I know you have, right? Like we, I, I mean, that's not most of us, right? But, but we have those friends. There's, those are the people that are easy to love, but, but we're not just called to love those who are easy to love or to love when it is easy to love. Remember earlier, I already mentioned love endures and bears, it bears burdens, it endures struggle. And the truth is, is that we, not them, not they, not whoever it is that you might be thinking about, not our parents, not, not our kids, not our spouse, not our church friends, not our neighbors, it's not just them, but we are not the easiest people to love. We are prone to selfishness, and to griping, and to fits of anger, and to hurtful words, and to impatience. But we're not only called to endure and bear in love. Friends, the truth is, is that we are in need of one who endures. And we are in need of one who bears us in love. And that's what Christ does. You see, that's what Jesus does. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of love. He is the person of love. In 1 John chapter 4, the apostle John says, God is love. And then he goes on and says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Y'all, did you hear that? The love that God has for us that he would send his son for us to be a propitiation for our sins, to forgive us of our sins. And what is amazing about that is that God loved us like that when we were unlovable. Right? I mean, that's what our assurance of pardon said. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the Apostle Paul goes on and says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. I mean, think about that, y'all. While we were his enemies, while we were still sinners, while we, while I was in rebellion against God, that is when he sent his son. That is his love for us. Those undeserving of love, undeserving of mercy, undeserving of his sacrifice. He loved us. Do you all want to see First Corinthians 13 lived out? Look no further than Jesus. Because Christ is the one who is patient and kind. He's not irritable or resentful. He is the one who rejoices in truth and he bears with us and endures for us. He is love. Do you know Joe Ehrman, after he says this, poses this question to his players, what is our job? And the players respond to love us. They don't put their hands in and go, Gilman, and run out onto the field. (laughs) Now, the coach has some words for them. You see, the coach tells them, he says, if you happen to see another boy off by himself, you need to go sit with him. Or you need to go find him and bring him over to sit with you and your friends. The coach goes on and says, I I don't care if you know him or not. You go get him. You make him feel wanted. You make him feel special. In other words, you love him. You see, what that coach is imparting to his players is that those who know love will love. And if you are trusting in Jesus this morning, then y'all know a love greater than any love of this world. You have been loved by the Son who gave himself for you and recipients of that love, we are to live lives of love. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your Son, our Lord Jesus, who though we were sinful, we were in our transgressions, we were in rebellion against you, though that's who we were, your enemies, you sent Christ to live and to die and to rise again, to shower us with his love. And so we ask that we would respond as people of love, Father, let us see our neighbors, let us see our coworkers, let us see our classmates as those in need of the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, and let us be ambassadors of that love to this world and to one another, and let us do it for your glory, for your namesake, and so that your love would abound. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus our Lord, and God's people said together, Amen.